Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This is episode 187. <laughs> 187 episodes. Come on. And uh, this one's called The Endless Invitation because I feel a sermon coming on. But actually, in this sermon, what I want to do, I want to give you a framework for understanding how consciousness and understanding evolves and unfolds in the universe and how those truths are true about you and your path. So we're going to go intimate and personal and big and wide, and we're going to be all over the place um, as we sort of work through this. Uh, oh, but before we do that, tour. I'm on tour now, the Holy Shift, Holy Shift tour. And uh, I'm, what, eight or nine cities into it. By the way, it's really interesting. It takes, it takes about 10 cities for me to even figure out what it is. <laughs> it's like at first there's this hour and whatever, hour and a half thing I've been working on for a couple of years, but then you take it out and you give it and it wobbles a bit and it's shaky in different parts. Or like there, Kristen saw it uh, like two or three nights in and she was like, okay, that whole one section, you just got to drop that. It doesn't work. <laughs> she was like, yeah, seriously, just drop it. <laughs> so you like dropping things, adding things, extending things, cutting things short. It's like this endless process of figuring out what it even is. But it feels like now we're just starting to hit some stride in time for New York City Philadelphia, Washington, D.C., and Boston. Oh, and by the way, those of you Brooklyn folks, I know Brooklyn sold out, but I just was told they're adding uh, standing room only tickets. So if you checked and it was sold out, check again, um, because I think you'll, I think they've just added some right around the time this podcast comes out. So uh, all those things are happening. And then after that, uh, next run, then after that, Chicago, Minneapolis, and Milwaukee. Milwaukee, I'm coming back for a second time to your fine city. So all of you friends, it's been such joy to meet you on this tour and to see you and the love, oh my word, and the love for Pete Rollins, who's opening. And I mean, each night we're like, wow, that crowd was amazing. And then the next night we're like, that crowd was amazing. Uh, and I'm talking about you, Houston. Just amazing. Just incredible. And Dallas, the fire alarm went off and everybody had to be evacuated from the building during Pete's talk and then brought back in. And you all just did, okay, all right, no problem. You just like handle it. These are my peoples. <laughs> so, um, oh, another thing, those of you communicators, writers, speakers, speechifiers, people who give teachings, messages, um, talks, those of you who have to take thoughts and make them coherent. Um, I recorded last year an audio project called Something to Say, which is all of my best content on the art of communicating, specifically helping you get unstuck. Like you have that idea and you're trying to get it across, um, but, but you're looking for the shape and form. How do you give it sort of how do you craft it in such a way that you could actually give it? Um, I recorded this seven hour and 45 minute project called Something to Say, and I've been meeting lots of you on tour who've listened to it and gotten unstuck, and that just thrills me to no end. But you can, um, if that's something that would help you, that you can get that at robbell.com. But now, my friends, 
let us do a sermon, shall we? Now, this text, I'm going to read you a brief bit of text from the book of Genesis chapter 12. And uh, let me do my usual caveat. Those of you who the moment someone talks about the Bible, you twitch a little, you maybe throw up in your mouth, you're like, no thanks, hold on. I just want to read you this first off. Listen to it for the human story and the unfolding human consciousness that's actually happening in this text, um, because it has all sorts of things to say to us here and now in the world we find ourselves in. So Genesis chapter 12, here's how it reads. God told Abram, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land that I will show you. And then the divine says this to Abram, I'll make you into a great nation and bless you. Bless you. I'll make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you. Those who curse you, I'll curse. All the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went. Oh, by the way, it actually reads, so Abram left. So Abram went. But um, later his name gets changed to Abraham. So I'll probably end up using Abram and Abraham interchangeably. At this point in the story, he's still Abram. Now, a thousand things going on here. First off, notice the first thing he's told, leave your country, your family, and your father's home for a land I will show you. Yeah, this is the hero's journey, right? This is the universal story of you got to leave home. You got to leave. You got to go. You got to leave the safe and comfortable, and you have to head out into the unknown. That's how it works. But there's something even more interesting here. At that time, the dominant consciousness of that time and place had what's called a cyclical view of history. So what happened to your parents happened to their parents, happened to their parents, happened to their ancestors, and it's now happening to you, like a, like a picture like a wheel. You're on the wheel, you'll go through these things, then you'll have kids, and your kids will go through these things. Everything essentially has happened before. It's all an endless repeating cycle. Now, this story is about a man who leaves his country, his family, his father's household for the unknown. This man leaves for a future that hasn't already been decided and predetermined. This man breaks the cycle. He gets off the never-ending repeating wheel, and he heads out into something that hasn't already been predetermined. Now, here's why this is so interesting. This was a brand new idea in the history of ideas. This was a radical, revolutionary new way of understanding how the present moving into the future unfolds. So when we read a line like, so Abram left, we're like, yeah, okay, what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. <laughs> no one ever did that. Totally brand new. So what's interesting to me about some of these passages is there are, because you and I are like, of course you can leave. Of course you can go. Of course you aren't just doomed to repeat it. And yet at one point in human history, this was an absolutely breathtaking brand new idea. It's now so common, we forget that at one point, people had never even considered this sort of understanding. But I would also add in saying that, because some of you are a step ahead of me, right? You know exactly what I'm about to say. It's still a revolutionary new idea. How many people do you know 
who are like, well, I guess this is just how it's supposed to unfold. I guess this is just my lot in light. How much of despair is rooted in, it's not like anything can change going forward. This is just how it is. So you see this very ancient new idea still is the question for many people in the modern world. Do you have a cyclical view? Especially when you're in the grip of despair. Well, I guess this is just how it is. Or do you have a so Abram left understanding, which is no, tomorrow doesn't have to be a repeat of today. Maybe tomorrow we could step into the unknown and something new could happen. Okay, so anyway, that was, uh, that was just a bit there. But that's not even the main bit I'm trying to get at because there's so much here. Now, here's what's fascinating. At this time, people had a tribal conscious understanding of the world. You have your tribe, and your tribe has to defend themselves to stay alive, to survive. And so you're constantly making alliances with other tribes. And when it says like so-and-so had this many sheep and this many fighting men and had this many resources and this much wealth, it's because at this time, how much you could accumulate was very, very important because you could trade, you could do treaties, you could form alliances, you could defend your tribe. Everything was about staying alive because the dominant center of gravity was a tribal consciousness. But there's something happening in this text because Abram's told, I'm going to bless you. Abraham will have divine blessing. Abram will be the father of a, of a new kind of tribe. But then that tribe will, it says, all the families of the earth will be blessed through you. So essentially this idea, stay with me here. This was a brand new idea, a tribe that didn't just exist for their own survival and well-being, but a tribe that existed to bless all the other tribes. I mean, this is thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago, this new idea emerges of a tribe that has essentially a higher awareness, a higher calling, a higher consciousness, a beyondness within their belongingness, however you want to articulate that. Now, uh, let's name this as a framework because there's Abram and his peace, his shalom is the Hebrew word, the, f the divine favor as it resides on Abram. There is then Abram being the father of a tribe, so a belonging, a group, a family, a nation. And then there is that tribe giving itself for the well-being of all the other tribes. It has a higher purpose than just its own survival and blessing. It has a higher purpose, which is to bless all the others. Now, let's call this a continuum of stages of unfolding consciousness. Let's call this egocentric then you move beyond egocentric to tribal-centric, also sometimes called ethnocentric. You move beyond that to what's called world-centric. And by the way, uh, my, one, one of my absolute favorite writers and new friend, Ken Wilber, W-I-L-B-E-R, has written extensively about this. Um, so Brief History of Everything is probably the best book to start with. Um, but lots and lots of people have talked about this as stages. I just think he talks about it so fantastically, compellingly, and well. Um, and actually, Wilbur adds a fourth stage beyond world-centric, which is 
cosmos centric or cosmic centric. Um, we won't deal with that as much today because we got enough ground we got to cover. But let's talk about this. There is egocentric. You move beyond egocentric to tribal centric, also called ethnocentric. And then you move beyond a tribal centric understanding to a world centric understanding. We'll deal with those three stages. Now, first, ego. A couple things about ego. You need to have an ego to die to one. <laughs> Are you right? So there is in the unfolding of you, in healthy human growth and development, there is an absolutely necessary stage of ego development. So for example, uh, okay, here's one. You go to the beach as a kid with your aunts and uncles, your parents, and let's say uh, you and your dad are, you're four years old and you and your dad are racing on the beach. Your dad lets you win, right? Your dad doesn't beat you and then go, suck it. <laughs> no, your parent let you race. And they're like, wow, you're really fast. Even if you were incredibly slow, you were probably told when you were three, wow, you are so fast. Remember when you were buying new shoes in the store? and you tried on the new shoes, and then you ran across the store and ran back, and your parents were like, whoa, that is amazing how fast you can run in those new shoes. Or you brought home that painting from school when you were like seven, and, and honestly, the painting wasn't that great. I mean, that was a flaming turd of a piece of art, and yet you brought it in the front door, and, and hopefully you had family members, family members who were like, whoa, we've got a, Donna, we've got a Picasso on our hands. I know. And they hung it up on the refrigerator and they made the biggest deal. Even if, or you made like that ashtray for people who don't smoke out of like, like a bowl, like a sad bowl. Remember that? And everybody's like, wow, you're really good as a sculptor. And it was all rubbish, honestly. But what happened at this really subtle level, hopefully, which is why obviously abuse and abandonment is so tragic and devastating is hopefully best case scenario is there were people around you who were helping shape and build up a healthy ego because you have to have an ego in order to move beyond an ego. So you were taught things about self-esteem. You were taught you can do it. You were given tools, strength, confidence. You were talk, people talk to you about possibilities. You know, you can work hard and you can set your mind to things and you can pick yourself up and you can be disciplined and postpone gratification and moral compass. And you were given all of these tools, hopefully, developmentally, in order to develop a healthy sense of self. But then at some point, what happened is you also began to get messages about belonging. You were told things like, uh, you, should, you should shower more than once a week. This is what we tell 11-year-old boys. Or uh, you should make your bed or clean your room. Or you now have a chart for chores you need to do. Essentially, what you were taught was, this is how we do it. You were given the lay of the land of the tribe, the rules, the customs, the protocol, all the stuff written and unwritten about how your people do things. You were told the stories, the songs, the flag, whatever it is. You were given 
some sort of tribal identity. Maybe it was through sports. Maybe it was through academics. Maybe it was through religion. Maybe it was through country. Maybe it was through ethnicity. Maybe it was through family tree with ancestors. And, um, and in this, you were also taught about serving, giving, loyalty, uh, sacrificing for the well-being of the group. So what happened at one level is to save you from yourself, you were given the idea of something bigger than yourself that you belonged to. And so one of the ways in which intentionally or not, subconsciously, consciously, intuitively, or knowing exactly what they're doing, one of the things that was happened is you picked up, there was this way to live bigger than yourself. And it was, we might call it tribe. Yeah. And obviously in tribe, the most powerful thing then is somebody who gives their life for the well-being of the tribe. Now, stay with me here, because there are obviously healthy and unhealthy dimensions at each stage of unfolding consciousness. You have egocentric, tribal-centric, but then this thing happened where you began to realize that there was life outside of your tribe, and that some, perhaps, you began to question some of how your tribe did it. And perhaps you even began to take note, actually, some of the ways that my tribe lives and moves in the world aren't good for other tribes. And so what happened is, sometimes people call it deconstruction, disorientation. You began to move to a greater awareness, not just from the awareness leap from yourself to those around you, tribe, but from tribe to all the other tribes, which is the move from tribal-centric to world-centric. So it was to all the other tribes. Uh, maybe it was an awareness of, oh, there's my tribe, but then there's the earth and care for the earth, respect for the environment, um, animal kingdom, uh, resources, um, others who aren't part of the tribe. And what does it look like to be good favor and blessing for them? Because sometimes what happens is you realize, wait, our tribe actually antagonizes other tribes, or other tribes have truth as well. Or actually, some of the stories other tribes are telling about certain dimensions of the human experience are actually a better way. They're a better story than some of the stories my tribe is telling. And so this often accompanies, accompanies the move as you begin to move from a simply limited tribal-centric understanding to a broader world-centric stage of growth, growth and personal unfolding and evolving. Are you with me now? Okay, so if you have a piece of paper there then, or if you're driving or doing the dishes, just picture on the left-hand side, egocentric, then an arrow to the right in the middle, tribal-centric, and then an arrow after that word to the right, which is world-centric. Sometimes we, sometimes we should talk about uh, cosmos-centric or cosmic-centric, but anyway, we'll stop with these three. Now, a couple of things. First off, um, with a nod to Ken Wilber, when you grow, what you do is you transcend and include. So when you moved 
and you're ex you expanded from egocentric to tribal centric, you didn't su suddenly lose yourself or you didn't leave yourself behind. And this is huge for understanding growth. You don't suddenly not become you. So you transcended, you moved past, but you included what came before. So in that process, we leave behind what, what needs to be le left behind, but we include what needs to be brought forward. Now, here's why this, this is so important. Oftentimes, well, here's one example. Think about uh, like a cult, which has an incredibly tribal-centric call to people. But often, it's at the expense of egocentric. It's almost like you have to deny who you are or cut off certain dimensions because a cult survives on everybody submitting and almost subduing or neutering dimensions of their being. Or you think about fascism or, or totalitarianism. You think about uh, certain regimes, the way they gained power was essentially the tribe becomes everything and personal differences or individual expression or creativity or autonomy are sacrificed in the name of the tribe. Or sometimes imagine if somebody was stuck in egocentric. Imagine if somebody didn't move beyond egocentric and it wasn't just healthy ego development, but they didn't move on because if you don't keep moving, then you become unhealthy whatever stage you're at. So imagine if somebody didn't keep going and got stuck at egocentric and because they didn't get going, that, ego, that egocentric turned into like a bloated narcissism, but then imagine if they used tribe they appealed to people's tribal centric impulses in order to get elected <gasps> imagine if something like that happened um, now another thing that can happen is oftentimes when people move from tribal centric to world centric it involves some sort of leaving of their tribe because they can't stay there like once it's out of the box you can't jam it back in once you see you can't unsee once you taste you can't untaste so so uh, what you're seeing right now is lots of people who kept going and in some way left their tribe behind as they moved into later stages of growth and consciousness. Um, but even when you move beyond your tribe into a greater awareness of others, of the unknown, of earth, of a larger expansive view of things, you still need a tribe. Are you with me? So oftentimes people had to leave a tribe in order to keep going, but you then need to find a tribe of people who kept going. Does that make sense? Yes, egocentric, tribal-centric, world-centric. Oh, another example. I cannot tell you, and I think Kristen and I talked about this in the last episode, how many people I've met in different corners of the world who are doing brave, innovative humanitarian work um, getting people food, water, setting up microfinance banks, doing things on the very edge of, uh, I mean, of, of war zones and uh, in the midst of great disease, famine, drought, and yet the people doing that work are so broken. Um, the, the nonprofit organizations I've, I've run into where the people are just shells, they're just a wreck. It was like they were so world-centric without proper, healthy, 
egocentric growth and development, which I, which I love about, I've sort of placed this framework, sort of pulled this out of the Abram story, but I love how the Abram story begins. Um, Abram's told, the, the, the divine essentially says, I'll bless you. The peace and favor will rest on you. You know what I hear when I read that? Grace, grace. You'll experience fullness. You'll experience healing. You'll experience goodness deep in your bones. And because you have tasted that, because you have experienced renewal and healing, because you've you're swimming in the stream of grace that flows under everything. You now move from that place to bond and join with others so that together you can move beyond to help heal the world. But if you don't begin there with your own personal path, which is why now you're seeing so many people reclaiming ancient practices of prayer and contemplative awareness and mindfulness as people are realizing, oh, without that first starting blessing, favor, peace, grace, and healing happening within you, you actually don't have the resources to go out into the world and actually do something. So you have all these people who are at world-centric realizing, wait, you transcend and include. And if you don't go, you don't always move among these different stages you're in trouble. And sometimes, uh, sometimes you need to stop the work and you need to have a season where you're just taking care of yourself. You're just sitting in the needs of the individual self so that you can then keep going and move back on beyond yourself. Now, so transcend and include. Number two, giant idea. You ready? Because this one, this one, oh my word. And this is where the endless invitation comes in. Trauma, stress, disruption, and change will always have an invitation within them to grow and expand. If in those times of trauma, stress, disruption, and change, you do not say yes to the invitation to grow, expand, unfold, and move beyond and transcend, if you do not say yes to that invitation, then you will end up regressing, entrenching, digging in your heels, and going the other direction. So, well, think about your own life. Have you ever been through something difficult, challenging, heartbreaking, gut-wrenching, and what you did is you withdrew, you isolated, you just went home and ate ice cream and watched Netflix. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So what that stress did is instead of moving beyond to lean on others, to open up like never before, to let others carry you, what you did in that moment is you went the other direction. You went back into egocentric instead of forward into tribal-centric. Um, by the way, how many of you, and let's flip this around, how many of you found out later that a friend of yours was going through something really difficult and then they tell you, oh yeah, man, 
three months ago, I was at my, I was at my end. I was just cooked. And you, your first thought was, and they didn't even reach out. Right. Anyone ever had that? That happened to me two weeks ago. I found out some horrific thing that a friend was going through. And then I'm getting the story like a month later and thinking I would have loved to have been included in that and called and I would have loved to carry you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, because trauma, stress, disruption, change will always have within them an invitation to open, to grow, to expand, or to retreat, regress. Now, that was just a simple personal example. Now, let's move to a communal national example. Uh, 9-11, 2001, 9-11, as uh, Americans, we were the victims of this horrific terrorist attack. Literally thousands of our fellow citizens died that day. Um, and so we grieved. In some ways, we're still grieving. The world changed that day. So set aside from all of the very real grief we all had and the evil that we were on the receiving end of, what you noticed post 9-11 at, given enough time, as you notice two responses to that trauma, stress, and disruption. The one response was, yes, that was a horrific, evil act of terrorism, but why do these people not like us? Why do these people fly planes into our buildings? What is it about us that so enrages certain people. Now, once again, this is no, in no way condoning, viol condoning violent acts. Nevertheless, you had a whole new set of questions. What is there anything about how this American tribe moves in the world that actually antagonizes other tribes? Have we been building, building military bases on other people's holy sites. And have they said to us, could you please not build military bases on our holy lands? And we have said, uh, we need the gas. We need the oil. Um, is there anything about the fact that this one nation, which is 4% of the world's population, has 750, is it, military bases around the world? No one's, this is, I mean, this is absolutely unprecedented in human history. Is there anything about this tribe and the way this American tribe moves in the world that antagonizes other tribes. And there, what we are seeing now is what's called blowback. The answer, by the way, is yes. So, but nevertheless, you had people asking a whole new set of questions. You also had another response to 9-11, and I'm being incredibly general here, but hang with me. You also had another response to 9-11, which was, these colors don't run. We're gonna put a boot in your ass, crank up the Toby Keith. <laughs> Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You know what? From now on, at football games, we're going to have a flag on the field before the game. In fact, we're going to have a flag as big as the field. In fact, we're going to have a flag as big as the field. All due respect to soldiers, we're going to have soldiers hold it. In fact, we're going to have fireworks, and as the flag is unfurled over the field, we're going to have F-14s fly overhead in case anybody was fuzzy on where this game is taking place. It's taking place in America. Now, what you see there is in response to that trauma, loss, stress, disruption, and change, you saw people moving beyond asking all sorts of new questions about has the world changed? What about our tribe? How does this affect other tribes? And then you had others saying, 
No, we're the greatest nation. We are blameless. And that led to all sorts of events that we're still wrestling through. So, uh, you can see where this is going, of course. We are right now living in this world, 2018. The world is changing in massive ways. Technology, economics, immigration. The world is changing. Weaponry. The world is changing in massive ways. And you have, as you always have, the endless invitation, the two responses. You have some responding to these changes with, well, what are we going to learn in this? What, are the, what is the greater awareness of our endless connections that we're now being invited to consider? How are we even more connected with those on the other side of the world than we previously knew? How can we ask even better questions about our tribe and its relation to other tribes? You have people asking those questions, and then you have at another end, at the other, at the other end of the spectrum, you have regressing, retrenching, going the other direction. You have people battening down the hatches and talking about, well, let's just make sure that we are great, and that's all that matters. You see, this is the endless invitation for all of us in everything we do. And it works. It's true. What's true of the personal is always true of the political. What's true of the individual is always true of the group, is always true of the nation, is always true of the globe. You either keep moving, expanding, growing in compassion, growing in solidarity, growing in your awareness of everything and its relationship with everything else, or you retrench, regress, retreat, and wear the hat and chant the slogans even louder. Now, I call this the endless invitation because the great invitation in all of this, all of the pain, stress, disruption, change, transition, the great invitation in all of it is to let it break you in all the right ways. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, it's like... It's like when you watch somebody who loses someone they love and it's so painful and you go to the funeral and you're heartbroken for them and their loss and then you watch them as they begin to pick up the pieces Uh, because you know it's going to go one of two ways. They're going to either become bitter or better. They're they're going to become closed or they're going to become open. They're going to develop a sort of victim complex or they're going to move into healing space where they realize I went through this. It was awful. I wouldn't wish it upon anybody. But when they do see somebody going through the thing that they went through, something within them comes to life and they think, oh, I would, I would love to walk with that person because I know what they're going through. See, the great invitation in all of it is to let it break you open in all the right ways so you can continue to join the universe in its endless unfolding. Because the expansion, ego, tribe, world, cosmos, the expansion, you're living in an expanding universe. What is it, 13.8 billion years, the whole thing's been expanding. So when you in those moments choose to open, choose to expand, choose to ask new questions, when you choose to say, 
I don't understand any of this, but I'm assuming there's something new in this chaos. I'm assuming there's some spirit moving in the waters of this abyss. And you ask those questions. You're essentially lining yourself up with how the universe is endlessly unfolding. Now, uh, a couple thoughts here to wrap this up. Oh, well, one about Jesus, which I think is really interesting. If you go back, this Abram passage that we began with is essentially the birth of what we know to be the Jewish tribe. So built into the DNA of this tribe was a tribe that exists to bless all the other tribes. So like the prophet Isaiah comes along, book of Isaiah, and what does Isaiah say to his Jewish tribe? He says, you're to be a light to the Gentiles. And Gentiles is basically how you might translate it is everybody else, right? It's like he reminds them of this original call from Genesis 12. He's like, it's like he says to them, hey, wait, 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 wait. You're not here just for you. You're here for something beyond and bigger than you, namely everybody else. That's, your, that's what's been in your birth. You're to be a light to the world. So when Jesus comes along, when he talks about being light, yeah, he's referring to Isaiah, who's referring to Genesis. Jesus is calling his tribe back to that. Now, Jesus is in living in this first century world where the Romans have come, and they're being occupied by the greatest military superpower the world had ever seen. So his people have the boot of an empire on their neck. This is a time of great trauma, stress, disruption, and change. But what does he keep doing in this? It's like he keeps saying to his tribe, I know you want to pick up weapons and you want to physically, violently drive Rome out, but that would be regressing to a tribal consciousness. And it's like he essentially keeps pushing them to move beyond because everything in their bones wants to move backwards. And it's like he keeps inviting them, here, let's talk with Samaritans. Let's, I mean, for a, a Jewish male at that point, let's talk with women. Let's talk with tax collectors. Let's have meals with sinners and people of the land. What's he doing? He's inviting them. No, don't go that way. Move forward. Don't go back. Transcend and include. What does it look like to be a blessing to all the other tribes. So you can see right there, this move here, he keeps calling them to the invitation, the invitation, the invitation. Another way to, uh, to think about this, we think about ecocentric, tribal-centric, and world-centric is the individual is a picture of the communal. So when you find yourself thinking, why does that people, of group, why does that people group do that? Um, ask yourself, why do I do that? You know what I mean? <laughs> Like, why do I do that? Do, what do I do when I'm fearful? Here's how I act. And one of, the, one of the ways this is most helpful is when you find yourself completely mystified by why some group acts the way they do. Go back and think about, well, where are they in terms of growth? And then ask yourself, how do I respond in unhealth at those stages? And often you're like, oh, those people... Those people voted that way because they're filled with resentment. And when I'm filled with resentment, I'm not in a good place. <laughs> I am not the most rational creature. 
when resentment has its hands on the wheel. Now, let's add to this one more. Your spiritual radar, let's call it spiritual radar, we pick up on spiritual energies all around us all the time. And the reason why I've given you this sort of way of thinking about things and called it the endless invitation is I would bet on a number of occasions what you were bumping up against is there was some setting where there was a trauma, a stress, a loss, a disruption, change, transition. There was some, some disequilibrium, some disorientation. There was something. And there were, there's generally two responses to it. And we, we're, spiritual, we're spiritual creatures having a human experience. Oftentimes what we're reacting to isn't the specific thing the person is saying. What we're responding to is their energies about it. Because what we've picked up on is they're not in the face of whatever it is saying, well, this is difficult, this is strange, this is gut-wrenching, this is disorienting, but I'm going to stay open, I'm going to ask all sorts of new questions, I'm going to assume this is another invitation to transcend and include and open up and to join the universe in an even bigger way, and it's continually endless unfolding. Oftentimes what you're getting from the person spiritually is, no, no, nope, nope, they're the problem. You're picking up on victimization. You're picking up, sometimes you're just picking up on racism, xenophobia, tribalism. You're, you're picking up, this person's going the other direction spiritually. And so you're wondering why you're having such difficulty connecting with them. It's because in the face of whatever it is, the one person said, essentially at some deep level of the soul, you know what, I'm going to enter into this. It'll probably break me in half, but I'm going to assume that I'm going to be broken so the light can shine in even new ways. It's going to create cracks in me, but those cracks are going to be how even new light is going to shine. And the other person is responding to it with the old, timeless reptilian brain instant fight or flight response of no no and so they're waving the flag even more they're putting even more bumper stickers on they're giving even more money to those particular causes that enforce their sense of fear and paranoia but underneath it all the really 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 important thing is to read this through the lens of spiritual energies because actually, this is one of the ways to have compassion on people. It's like, oh, they're terrified. So they're regressing. They're going the other direction. Oh, yeah. And when you've already been able to identify the times when you've done the same thing, then, you, oh, yeah. It may be frustrating. They may be saying horrific things that are just shocking and wrong. And, but nevertheless, you have a better shot at compassion and humility when you are aware of how your, un, your own unfolding has often been a couple steps forward, step back, a couple steps forward. Anybody know what I'm talking about? But if you can begin to read these things, if you can begin to read politics, if you begin to read pop culture, if you begin to read those in your tribe, those not in your tribe, if you can read it through these lenses, oh yeah, all of this is an endless invitation. You either move to new stages or you retrench and sometimes even just move backwards. Now, 
Uh, one more thing. I want to talk to all of those of you who have uh, a deep cynicism about the state of the world, who wonder if anything's ever going to, if we're ever going to make any progress, or how did this thing end up so backwards? Uh, let's go all the way back to Abram. Abram left. It's seriously one of my favorite lines in all of the Bible. Abram was told, leave your father's household. Then Abram's told, you'll be blessed. You'll, you'll be blessed. You'll, you'll be the father of a tribe. Then your tribe's going to bless all the other tribes. So Abram left. He did. He goes. I mean, that story, he steps outside of the repeating cyclical pattern, and he steps into new possibilities, new hope, new tomorrow. He steps into the unknown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this was like literally a, a new idea in the history of the world. By the way, Thomas Cahill, C-A-H-I-L-L, -L, has a book called The Gifts of the Jews. I think it's a, how a wandering tribe of desert nomads changed the way everybody thinks and feels. <laughs> Not the best name for a book ever. By the way, he does a whole section on this that will completely blow your mind. Um, Thomas Cahill, Gifts of the Jews. But uh, if you're bummed about the world... If you find yourself thinking, what is wrong? Why are, we, why are we seeing such massive regression and going the wrong direction? Why at the exact moment more than ever do we, have to, we need more of the population than ever moving from tribal-centric to world-centric understandings and connections and awarenesses and actions and behaviors? Why are we seeing so many people double down on the flag and the red hats? And why are we seeing so many people appear as though they're going the wrong way? Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Why do you think that's bad? Why do you think that's bad? And you would probably say to me, well, Rob Bell, <laughs> well, Rob Bell, you'd probably say, I think that's bad, but whatever answer you'd give me, you would probably be giving me from a world-centric. If you were speaking about somebody doubling down on egocentric, you would probably be speaking from tribal-centric and maybe even world-centric stage. So you would be at a later stage of growth saying, why are so many people stuck back there? To which I would simply ask you, but you're at a later stage of growth. And you would say, yeah, duh. And I would say, so were you always at this later stage? And you would say to me, well, Rob Bell, <laughs> by the way, that's going to stick. You'd say to me, well, Rob Bell, no, no, I, I, I just kept going. Of course I started. I started as a baby. I didn't even know that I was a self before I even knew that I was a self and had an ego. And then from there, I began to understand tribal. You would take me through your own story and your own unfolding, evolving consciousness and awareness, right? Right. So you have continued to wake up. And if you can wake up, then can't anybody wake up? Like what makes you special? If it's possible for you to be where you are, then it's possible for anybody. This is not about brain power or IQ or money. This is, this is possible. Others could wake up. You see how this goes? So you let this, you let this Abram story seep into your bones and suddenly you realize, wait, the only reason I'm frustrated is because I, what is that? And obviously the ego can easily step in here and be like, because I'm awesome. No, it's never about ego. It's always about humility. But for some reason, you continue to wake up. And if you can wake up, 
then everybody can wake up. So in our moments of frustration and, and when we're like, we just want to throw the remote against the television or we want to just take our laptop after we read one more of those stories and throw it off the roof of the building, you might know what I'm talking about, pause and think, wait, the only reason I'm frustrated is because I kept going. What a gift. What a humbling gift. But if I kept going, who's to say that others couldn't as well? And you never know when you'll run into somebody and find out, oh, the whole thing is actually moving forward. Do you see how this immediately takes you into what you think about what kind of universe we're living in? That these are personal, tribal, family, work, religious, political, economic questions, but they're also deep questions about the nature of the universe. Is the whole thing in some long, slow march forward with lots of step back, uh, which I would argue is, is the only way to read the whole thing. So when you see a, a regression, you go, oh, yep, that's for sure a regression. That's the wrong direction. And yet, I'm here, which means the thing did keep going forward at some degree. I know, I know. Every degree of judgment and sadness and rage we have about it not keeping up calls out the fact that we kept going, and that means everybody can keep going. You have to think about this as a far large, some call it deep time or long time. You have to look at this at a far, fly at a higher altitude, and suddenly all this begins to make a bit more sense. The endless imitation, my friends, is to let it break you. Whatever it is, the trauma, stress, loss, disruption, change, transition, the great invitation, the endless invitation is to let it break us in all the right ways so that we can open up, expand, transcend, and include as we join the universe in its endless unfolding. Or, as Jesus said, you love your neighbor as yourself. You are invited into the divine flow, which is always to move beyond and to see the endless and massive ways in which everything is connected with everything else. <laughs> One more thought for all of you, my brothers and sisters, going through something that's just killing you. It's got you in a headlock. For every one of you, my Robcast friends, who you are in financial difficulty, you are trying to keep a relationship together. You are trying to heal from a relationship that you couldn't keep together. You're trying to raise kids. And... It's sometimes just you're trying to keep a job. You're trying to hold a business together with employees. and ugh. You're trying to make something, and it just doesn't seem to want to be made, and yet something within you says, I got, I'm going to die trying. Uh, all of this has within it the endless invitation to open you up, to expand you, or to close you down and to, and to go the other direction. And my prayer for you is that you'll always, always, always say yes, yes, yes. Open me up. That's be your prayer. Show me. <laughs> Expand me. If I have to be broken so the light can shine through the cracks, then bring it on because that's how the whole thing, that's where the whole thing's headed. That's how the whole thing is going. And grace and peace be with you every step of the way.